Welcome to AEC Disruptors Podcast, uh, brought to you by your friends, Applied Software. I'm your host, Christopher Riddell. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of talking to my mentor, my boss, John Aid. Thanks, John, for uh, joining me. You bet. Hello. Yeah. Um, so this is exciting. Oh, one exciting announcement, and I mentioned it to you just a second ago, John, but we are officially on iTunes, so you can look for us, the AEC Disruptors. Uh, so like us, watch us, um, and you can also follow me on Twitter. So you can follow me on the AEC Disruptor. We'll be posting stuff like this, just new stuff that we see, things that Applied's doing. So all good things to keep in touch. So you got to be looking. Do you have a Twitter, John? I do, but I've forgotten what it is. Oh, you have to you have to follow me. Like <laughs> I need more followers. I don't have enough followers. It would be the first thing that I follow then. Oh, thank you. Maybe oh, after man. Applied Software. Or like before applied software, you could follow at the me same and, time. You could follow me and find applied software. Mm -hmm. They follow me. There you go. Um, anyway, John, um, so I'm glad to have you. Before we get started, why don't you sort of you know kick us off a little bit? Tell us a little bit about you know yourself, what you do, some of your background. Sure. Um, I'll start with what my position is. I'm the director of services for our AE Technology Group. Um, basically, building design and work with our customers to help them implement design technologies and use them more efficiently to positively affect their bottom line in their business and um, make using the tools, if you will, more fun so that they can do more design and worry less about the technology. Um, my background and that of my team, such as uh, people like yourself, Christopher, is I came out of industry. I'm an architect, um, practice architecture, at a variety of fairly sizable firms here in Atlanta and a global company for uh, the, those 23 years. And a good part of that, I was also an IT manager and CAD and ultimately a BIM manager. So I bring all that to bear when I'm working with our customers. So your background ties in real nicely to what we were going to talk about today. And um, so the thought behind today was really talking about challenges of adopting technology. Mm -hmm. um, things I'm sure you're all too familiar with. Um, things that I've even seen being what I've heard, you know, I was at this Design Next conference and we kept hearing the term design or a digital native. Uh, people that just kind of grew up into technology and so it's a little easier for them. So I, I think I fall into that category of digital native based just on how when I came out. And so I w was on the receiving end of some of these challenges. So, you know, one thing I would want to ask, just even kick us off is, as an IT, um, you know, an IT manager, all of the roles you've had in your past, uh, do you feel like there is sort of an underlying uh, reason that we we have these issues with technology and adopting it? I mean, do you think it's all around technology, or you think it's more the change, or combination of both? I don't think it. I mean, it's a little bit the technology itself. Obviously, something new is something people have to learn, or um, you know have a mindset where they want to, to, to learn more about it and they want to employ it in their everyday work. And that can be anything. I mean, we're, we're talking more specifically about the building design industry, but that's true anywhere. Um, it, is a, it is disruptive, right? Anytime you introduce a new technology, anytime you introduce a new technology, it's, it's disruptive. Some people naturally gravitate towards it because maybe, they, maybe they're the ones who found it or worked with it at another uh, organization before they came on board to one that doesn't have it and then they finally adopt it and they're just super excited because they're already ahead of the game. Um, and some technologies, 
you know, it, it's a little bit easier to pick up than others. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with something that covers a broad workflow, um, like I'll just I'll keep it generic, but talk about a specific tool at the same time, but a BIM authoring tool like Revit, mm -hmm. it's, it's much better in some ways, but it's more challenging in others. But the big thing is that people fear it. More than anything else, they, they fear the change because if they've been working in, say, AutoCAD or MicroStation or, or some other tool for a long time, and all of a sudden they're expected to learn this new tool, it's almost like uh, somebody new coming into the firm that's younger than them and, and, and knows more than them, and they fear that they, they're not going to know how to use it. And I think that's the big mistake that most firms make is that they don't acknowledge that, they don't plan for it, and they don't um, man it. Uh, basically manage it, um, you know, deal with the change man management aspect of introducing a new design technology. I mean, I think that it's interesting because my first experience, um, pretty short, I mean, right away, my first experience in, say, the corporate world was I went to a firm that had acquired another firm, and my original firm had Revit, and the other firm didn't. And so immediately, you know, I was the guy that knew Revit, but you have all these people with all this experience, uh, that know so much more than I know about the built environment, but here I come knowing how to use the tool that they don't. And I was met with some resistance, but for the most part, um, I, I, I felt the pain that they experienced in the fact that they, uh, they felt like they no longer could do what they had been able to do for so long. And so they were able to produce and create buildings and do all these great things, and now all of a sudden they felt like they had gotten taken away from them and we need to make sure that when we do things like this, we recognize that, I mean, there is a psychology involved when it comes to change. I mean, there's an aspect of that. Uh, but we also need to make sure we give people the foundation and the framework that they can be successful with change. So if you're, say, it's a new software, we need to make sure we're putting the right training in place or the right um, content in place. The worst thing that you could possibly do, I would think, is, hey, we're going to use this new software. Oh, we can't, we don't know how to, you're going to use it, and nor we don't have anything for you to get started with. Um, and I've seen things like that, which make change even harder. Um, I feel like change is easier when you can, it's not a drastic, drastic change. It's, here's a new platform, and here's all of the support that we have for you uh, to get you going. Um, and, and that's what I, at least I think if you were trying to find like a roadmap or a way that's an easier way for change, I think one, it starts with making sure we have a good foundation of, or framework of support, whether it's content or just training to help push that individual forward. I'll kind of give a story. I mean, I, I have the fortunate um, experience or history that my career started basically working doing board drafting, manual drafting, combination of pencil on vellum, uh, mylar lead on mylar, ink on mylar, um, you know, and there's a different mindset to manual drafting than there is to CAD drafting than there is to BIM modeling. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, product like AutoCAD, there are people who leverage the 3D aspect of AutoCAD, but not many, right? And not many without add-on tools to do that. Um, but it was, I, I, so without going back in history too far, dwelling too much on it, you know, manual to CAD was a big transition. And a lot of the older firms, a lot of the people who were there who managed that process who, or who experienced that process 
they forget what it took to move even from manual drafting to CAD. All right. And CAD was basically a digital replacement for manual drafting. Sorry to those of you who think it was more than that, but it, for, <laughs> <laughs> to some degree, that's pretty much what it was. Yeah, now, I did didn't it, say it. <laughs> did it. Did it help us get more efficient? Yes. Did it give us more power? Absolutely. But a lot of people did not employ it or implement it very well because there weren't a lot of people who were experts with, with it when it first came out. Mm -hmm. um, I graduated from college and AutoCAD had been on the market maybe two years. Okay. Intergraph, which is what I first learned, Intergraph IGDS. We should make, make that a little quiz for somebody if they remember what IGDS even stands for. Um, I could, wait, what does it stand for? I have no integrated idea. Integrated Graphic Design System. No, for software. Right. See, I'm not even sure if the S stands for system or software. <laughs> what? Never mind. <laughs> but, you know, it, and then I was in a position where I was managing not only the information technology infrastructure, but also um, the design technology, the, the CAD, and then replacing that with something like Revit. And yeah. at that time, there were people who had been using CAD for a long time, very good with it, and there, were a lot, there was a lot of resistance to it. First of all, they didn't know much about it. They just knew that it was 3D. Mm -hmm. They didn't realize the power it had, and they also didn't know the intuitive nature of a BIM authoring tool like Revit, that you're actually constructing your project digitally and not just drafting it or diagramming. But again, it was the lack of education, the lack of a little bit of hand-holding, you know, saying, it's okay, we understand that you don't know it. And I took it as an opportunity because having gotten my license, having gone through the whole process of being an intern architect, learning uh, a CAD software, and then learning uh, and supporting a Revit software, I realized that I had, there was a certain advantage I had. I gravitated towards technology, and I understood what it took to put a project together. So I had the two things that probably benefited me the most, but I did not learn Revit well. Mm -hmm. and, and that taught me when I was implementing it at another organization what it really took to do it um, properly. And the only way I really learned it was to kind of get my um, cuts and bruises working on a project. So I actually was the project architect on a, interior, a full floor interior design project with another young interior designer. And it was one of the first true Revit projects we had in our office at the time. But you know what? I came out of that on the other end a little frustrated, very pleased because even the inefficiencies I experienced by not knowing how to use the tool properly, there were certain things that I did learn and just took full advantage of and those offset the inefficiency. So I think I made a successful project on my first project and I didn't have any formal training. I mean, I like, and I always say this anytime I ever train anyone with anything, if you don't start using it and getting your hands dirty, you're never really going to be able to figure things out. And, and actually I got better at Revit the moment I had to teach, I guess. I mean, when I started this other firm and no one really knew how, and I had to help, I learned more because I was, I had to be the guy. So I had to quickly figure an answer out. And so, I mean, that helped, uh, in general, you were quickly being challenged. You were always yeah. being challenged when you're challenged. It, it's like, well, I, I'm, pretty sure I can figure this out. And, it, and it's almost a driving force to learn more about the product. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, maybe that has to do some with the adoption of technology. Uh, I would say one thing is technology changes so quickly that I have, you know, I've seen where 
you might become an expert at AutoCAD and by the time you become an expert, all of a sudden it's now time to use Revit and you're like, I'm just now got to be an expert. I got to start over. Um, you know, I haven't met that yet, so I don't know what it's going to be like when the next Revit comes out and I know like I can do Revit really well and then there's some young kid that comes behind me and says, oh, we don't use Revit anymore. We use this. So I don't even know how I'll react to that. Um, but I mean, what, what are some of the things that if, if somebody asks, you know, John, what are, you know, what are three things that I could do to help me navigate the waters of a technology change? I mean, where, I mean, what would you suggest? I know I would suggest things like more support and, um, you know, content or mentorship. I mean, what are your thoughts on, you know, here's this firm, whether, whatever it is, maybe they're trying to start using VR for the first time and there's people nervous about that. What are some things that we should, should tell people to look for? Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of words that I've used. I think one of them is to have a plan. In other words, be deliberate about this. If you see value in adopting a new technology and you're pretty sure you know which one you want to adopt, and if you don't, test some out. Mm -hmm. Have them demonstrated to you, touch and feel them, and talk to peers who may have already adopted one or the other and get a feel for what it is. Don't, don't just go in, all in unless you have a little bit of um, a broad view of things. As much as I have my favorites, I obviously work a lot with Revit, I still appreciate some of the other tools that are out there because no one tool does everything well. Mm -hmm. um, I think Revit does what my industry needs very well, but it's imperfect also. Yeah. Um, thankfully there's an API, thankfully there's Dynamo, thankfully there's ways of making it better and better and there's smart people using it and coming up with inventive ways of using it. But have a plan and a part of having a plan is being deliberate about your approach, meaning you're recognized that there's gonna, it's going to take some time and effort. Time means money, so there's expense to this, there's expense to the software. And acknowledge the fact that you're going to need some help. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always mean hiring somebody who's done it before because if they've only done it once before, it's a somewhat limited experience. It's they not a one bad, way. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to demean those who have um, advanced themselves by participating in the implementation, implementation of a new technology and then they go to, they get a new job because they've done it and they're doing it for the second time. They'll probably do it better the second time but they'll also probably recognize things they did wrong the first time. And that's good too, right? Um, but even if it's not a lot, search out people who are experts in this and let them help you because they will explain to you um, and help you develop that plan. I think that makes a, I mean, I think you brought up a good point about the plan. I, um, I'm reading a book currently for school that talks, it's called the four, uh, the four disciplines of execution mm -hmm. and it's like step-by-step step on things you need to do in order to be able to execute a plan and it starts with creating a widely important goal um, but all of it sort of stems around the idea of that our day-to-day -day, we get caught up in what they call the whirlwind so and we you and I are guilty of this all the time is we have great plans and initiatives and then we get caught up in the whirlwind and that takes over and you lose sight of whatever that goal was or when technology adoption comes up, a lot of times it's also in conjunction with other uh, changes, other things that we're trying to change. And kind of what this concept is getting at is it's distilling your goals down to just a few. 
And there's a stat that says, you know, if you have two to three goals, chances are you will accomplish both all three of those. If you have 10 to 12 goals, chances are you'll accomplish two to three. And if you have 20 goals, chances are you'll accomplish zero. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we are thinking about these type of adoptions, uh, having that plan like you described, I think is super critical and making sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that it will disrupt our whirlwind in our day to day. And we can't fall back into old habits. Um, and that was something that I kept running into is it's faster to fall back into that old habit than keep pushing forward. Um, and a great, great quote in the book was something like, uh, you know, for every, for every goal we're working towards, there's some sort of lever that we're using to help move the goal forward in a direction. And it's using the analogy of pushing a rock up a hill. And it says to move a really large rock, even a little bit, you have to move the lever a whole bunch. And so there's going to be times during these technology adoptions where it feels like you've done a ton of work. And then you realize you've only moved just a little bit up the hill. Um, but at the same time, with every at the top of the hill, all of a sudden you get to that point where you're going down and you actually feel all the progress that you, you've made. Uh, so, you know, that's a lot of things to say that, at least my advice when everyone's going through these technology adoption changes is to don't lose sight of what that initial goal was, keep it manageable and always work towards it and try to avoid letting the whirlwind sort of sweep you up and, and fall back into those old habits. Yeah, there was something else I was going to say earlier and I, and I was reminded of it while you were talking about what you were reading and that was um, there was a lot of fear among the more tenured um, design professionals, architects, um, uh, drafters, no, didn't matter who it was because uh, they're like, oh, well, I, I haven't even learned AutoCAD. And now I'm, you know, I'm at, I'm at a point where I'm managing people using AutoCAD or CAD. And, and I understand it, right, because it's not changing too much what I've done manual in my, in my profession. But, you know, now we're doing modeling and there's information and, you know, more visualization at the fingertips and things like that. And, and I, I started to say, I saw this as an opportunity and I kept telling people, I said, look, you're probably not going to be expected to use BIM as a tool, but you do need to understand it. And I can teach you enough of it that you understand how somebody's using it to design and document good design the people using it are probably going to be younger and maybe not have as much experience putting a building together. You have a perfect opportunity to sync up and, and be a mentor to the person on how to be a better designer, better architect, while they can help educate you a little bit on how the tool works. And then you can ask questions and you guys can meet in the middle and actually form a pretty tight bond and a pretty uh, much tighter team. Mm -hmm. I've always said too, when we're implementing that it's not just about, teaching picks and clicks. Yep. Uh, and that would be true of anything, I think, um, whether it be CAD or BIM or, you know, uh, PDF authoring and, and markup tool. How do you use it? What is the use case for it? How do you use it in your business? What is the workflow? You just don't want to teach the picks and clicks and expect them to use it um, as part of their normal project work. Mm -hmm. or their normal business, you want to make sure that you're teaching them how those picks and clicks work in their workflow and how their workflow may need to adapt to really leverage or take advantage of it. So, you know, it's a multifaceted thing, but, you know, if you, like you said, if you focus on a few goals, 
short-term goals to begin with, they're much more achievable than trying to boil the ocean. The uh, understanding what it can not do, so a technology in general, understanding what it cannot do is as important, if not more important, I would think, is to understand what it can do. And I say that because from time to time, I don't believe all the time you should let technology change a workflow or your business model or how you do things. Not all the time. But there are some things that I believe that the technology, you should change the way you do things, not just the technology you use, because the technology helps enhance that. So, for instance, I could, I can, um, I could model, maybe say I, every time I ever did a stare, I did it by drawing each tread, and that's just how I did it. And I decided, I mean, this is a ridiculous example, but then I decided that in Revit, that's how I was going to model. I was going to model every single tread by itself because that's how I've always done it. Well, the tool that's there has other more efficient ways for us to do it. So it changes my mindset, changes the way I think about it, but I'm getting to a better result. So I think in general with any technology adoption for it to be successful, you need to think about is my workflow you know, that important that I have to bend the technology to for it to fit or are there things I could do to tweak my workflow that the technology is going to help enhance and make me that much better so understand what it cannot do is almost as important and no one wants to say oh I can't do this um, or you, you know you can't do that or but at some point if I'm forcing say a, something like Revit to perform like a hand drawing Am I getting the best use out of that tool? Probably not. I'm probably actually paying a lot more for a tool than I really should be if that's my end goal. So those are things I think that are, are important for successful adoption. Um, and then your point about the, the mentorship, the partnership, recognizing those champions in your office that uh, just gravitate towards the technology. They probably were also involved in bringing the technology on. You know, make sure you pair those individuals up with those more ex experts in the industry. Uh, I think those make perfect teams, and it, it also builds to other things that you and I have talked about when it comes to, like, knowledge management, transfer, and all that. But I'd say the last last bit of advice, and I, and I think some people, this may seem really obvious when I say it, but I think a lot of people forget this, and that's that these are just tools, right? They don't do anything on their own. They help make what we do um, fit into the fabric of how we think and how we design if we allow them to. So what that means is it's a tool. And like you said, it, it, make sure you understand what it can and cannot do. The other thing is don't try and replicate a process in it if it has a different way of doing it. Learn how to accept how it does it because it's try, it, it will do it more efficiently. I think so. Otherwise, otherwise, don't switch technologies. Yeah, just don't change. Just stay <laughs> where you are. I mean, I, it, it, it drives me nuts when people say, well, I, I can do this in CAD um, much faster. And I'm like, um, do you want to put that to the test? And, you know, more often than not, they would fail. They, they might do really good, right, because they've done this over and over and over again. But if they learn another way of doing it and adapting and adopting, they may not be as fast initially, but then over time they're going to go, gosh, I wish I had done this you know, years ago. And I've heard that statement many times, but I've heard it from people who were willing to uh, listen and learn and, yep. and, and accept the help. Um, 
you know, I mean, I've, I've heard people that, you know, loved a certain type of technology or in this case, software for architecture and resisted the change and then made the change. And then years later, they would say, oh, I would never go back to that older technology. And so, I mean, in general, change, no one wants to change. Like it's in our nature to not want to change. Um, so the main things that we always need to keep in mind, I, you know, if we were trying to wrap up would be things like providing the support, providing, having a plan, uh, you know, doing your homework before you just jump into something. Um, think about what it is you're getting into, do demos, have people come in and talk to you about it, listen to success cases or failures. I mean, you can learn as much from a, a failed story as you can a successful story. Uh, and um, so, I mean, John, I, I feel like we covered a lot. Is there anything you feel we need to make sure we mention to, when it comes to adopting technology? Um, I, th I think you have to have an open mind, do your research, don't fear it. It's all about learning and get help. I mean, uh, I, I think that's the boiling it down. That, that, that would be my simple advice. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and we're finding in, you know, especially in our industry, it changes so quickly. Um, technology adapts so fast and there are people that are adapting. So eventually what will happen is you're going to have to adapt and adopt the new technology um, or you'll have, you know, you'll have other issues um, unrelated to that. So, you know, there are going to always be firms that are on the, the bleeding edge that, you know, way, way, way out in front. But then there's like a huge group that are in that very comfortable middle. And that's a perfectly acceptable place to be. Uh, but just kind of understanding, you know, what it is you're doing, I think, is important. And, and the other thing, and, you know, we've talked more about this recently is how a lot of people have adopted the tool but not embraced the process. In other words, they're yeah. not really getting the most out of what they're paying for. They're getting some some of the, what we call the low-hanging fruit, you mm -hmm. know, um, some of the tools that they didn't have before, like, um, you know, visualizations, um, uh, clash detection or, or interference detection within models, things like that. Those are the easy things, and they're benefiting from that but they're not leveraging the true extended benefits of the information that, that they can. Uh, mm -hmm. Some are, but I think more should. Yeah, I agree. And you know, that's why we have people like you, John, that they can reach out to and we can help. Oh, now you're just buttering me up. I think they're <laughs> reaching out to people like you more now. No, only cause I have a podcast. That's all. That's all. <laughs> um, no, this is good. I appreciate your time today. Um, we'll have you're to welcome and thank you. Yeah, this is fun. This mm -hmm. is fun. Um, for everyone that's listening, unfortunately, they're not going to get to see our beautiful faces today. But, you know, it's probably, oh, and, and probably I, and a I, good thing. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, well, that's it for us. Uh, I appreciate you listening. Uh, always check back at the AEC Disruptors on iTunes now. That's exciting. I mean, very that's much. pretty cool, right, John? Yes, very uh, cool. We're actually, we're actually doing real things here, even though I just said, hey, I would love to have a podcast. And here we are, just like that. Um, so I'm very fortunate to apply for even giving me the opportunity to try this. So we got to keep it going. So you have to follow me so we can use it. But anyway, see you, everyone.